Our sister Sharon Tanaka loves to say, the best is yet to come. Do we believe that? Do we believe God's promises are true? Okay, got a little less. I'm going to keep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see how far I can go with this and how many people drop out. Do you believe God keeps his covenants? Do you believe Jesus still sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us? And do we believe that when we take communion later this morning and we proclaim His death until He comes, do we truly believe that He is coming again? Good. We may disagree on the details and the timing, but we don't disagree as God's people that He keeps His promise and He will return. Jesus loves His bride. And for some of you this morning, I am convinced that that's why you're here. That's what you needed to hear you needed to be reminded that Jesus loves His bride. And if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if He is your Savior and Lord, you are a part of His bride. And He loves His bride. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Matt believes it. I, this is how far we've gone. we got one. we got one amen. Seriously, He loves His bride. And I would encourage you, as you move through 2021... It, it may or may not look different than 2020, but what we can absolutely depend upon, we can build our lives upon, we can make daily choices based on this truth, that Jesus loves His bride. He loves His bride. And as you reflect on that, if you're like me, you'll then reflect on the fact that, but I'm not deserving of that. I look at my life, I look at 2020, I look at the moments where I doubted, I look at the moments where I was angry, I look at the moments where I was frustrated or confused, I look at the moments where I didn't react in word or deed the way Jesus would have reacted or responded, and I think I'm so unworthy. And that's when the Spirit of God reminds, you, reminds me, and I pray He will remind you each moment of this new year that Jesus loves His bride. It's the grace of God. If you're here this morning and you think, yeah, I kind of I, I belong here. I deserve to belong here. You've not yet wrapped your head and heart around the grace that God is showing us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus loves His bride. And if you are a part of His bride this morning through faith in Jesus Christ, He loves you deeply. Now, He loves, he loves the world, doesn't He? For God so loved the world that He gave His Son... There's a, there's a deep, special love that Jesus has for the bride. I have a bride. Did you know that? I've had a bride for a long time. Boy, talk about grace. She has shown me grace for third... Um, oh boy, I should have thought this through beforehand. <laughs> Don't laugh, I'm in trouble. 37? It'll be 38 this year. Okay, she doesn't know either, so we're good. Okay, so it's in the high 30s that we have been married, 1983. So you do the math this uh, July... I have a bride, and I love my bride, and my bride loves me, and there's a special love that just gets stronger and stronger every, every year, every month, every day that we're together. So there is a special love that Jesus has for his bride. He has made promises to his bride. I've made a promise to my bride, and by God's grace and his help, I keep seeking to live out that promise. Jesus has a special love for his bride, but the word of God is clear. God loves his creation. I'm going to say it. God loves California. Okay, good, good. Not everybody has moved to other states yet. God loves Governor Newsom. 
Okay, a few less amens. Sorry, Governor, this is live stream. But do we believe that? That God loves His creation. He loves mankind. He loves men and women. He loves those that He has brought into existence and created souls for. And His heart, His desire, is that everyone would know Him and come to Him. Now that's, amen, right? That, that makes a great plaque on the wall. But you know, reality is we struggle with that. We struggle with it in the big picture. Someone distant, like maybe our governor or president or president-elect, different uh, officials. Maybe we look at some and go, ah. Hopefully nobody here went and wrote, tagged on a couple of people's houses this week. You know what I'm talking about? Some of our leaders got their houses graffitied. So from a distance, sometimes we struggle with that. But the reality is sometimes we struggle up close, too. We just had the holidays the holy days, and we had times to come together. I know it was different, and it was maybe restricted in some ways, but we were around some of our family member that we, members that we maybe aren't around a lot. And if we're honest, some of us went, ooh, I don't like that family member. Or I don't li- I'm glad they're going home today, or whatever it might be. And we struggle with what we just said we believe, that God loves this world. We have an easy time loving those who are like us, loving those who love us, loving those who believe what we believe, but we struggle when it's someone who is different. I'm fresh back from another continent. I was, in, I was able to go to, and many of you know, to, to Tanzania not too long ago, and as soon as I step off the plane, I realize I'm in a different part of the world. There's a a wood smoke, a wood-burning smoke that's in the air, and there's a temperature. I'll just leave it at that, too. You know, finally, I can actually say, wow, this is like Africa hot, because it is like Africa hot. And everything around me, everything from the language to the dress to the diet, everything is different. And if I'm not careful, my first reaction to those moments is, I don't like this. Why? Because I like the weather in California. I like the food in California. I like the people in California. I like the language in California because I can understand what people are saying. I know where things are at, right? I can go on and on. And this is so different. We struggle to love like we say we believe God loves this world when we're faced with things that are different or challenging to us. We spent 2020... It's true. We spent 2020 focusing on the Gospel of Luke, and we zoomed in on this idea of bringing Jesus into focus. And we did that intentionally because our mission says this. We believe that we are here as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. We are here to raise up passionate followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, who are characterized by three things. Disciples who live by faith. Disciples who are known by their love, and disciples who are are passionate about being voices of hope. So in 2020, we zoomed in on faith. We said, "Let's, let's spend the whole year looking at Jesus, looking at His life, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes to His Word, and to open up our hearts to see Jesus clearly, to bring Him into focus. We didn't have to argue at the beginning of 2020 that somehow Jesus has become fuzzy and unclear to most people in our world. We we quickly agreed on that, didn't we? And so we we walked through 2020 
having no idea what 2020 was going to look like, with a focus on strengthening our faith, seeing Jesus clearly. As we move into 2021, our mission again is that we raise up passionate followers who are, who are committed to live by faith. And what's the second phrase? They're known by love. And so in 2021, we are going to zoom in on how we can become people who are known by love. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we and through the ages, through the last 2,000 years, we've been known for many things, right? And we've been known for being against many things. But are we, have we, are we, will we be known by our love? If you want to turn to 1 John chapter 4, I encourage you to join me there. There's a few verses there I want to read. And the last one, verse 19, is going to be our theme verse for 2021. But we're going to start in verse 13. This is how we know that we remain in Him, in Jesus, and that Jesus is in us. He's given us assurance from His Spirit. Remember Jesus said in John 14, 15, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you the, the comforter the paraclete, the one who's going to come alongside. He's going to indwell you. He's going to teach you everything you need to know. I need to go, so He comes. And He's going to live inside of you. What's He going to do? He's going to testify. He's going to give us assurance. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we trust in the the message of the Gospel, the Holy Spirit is going to say, that is the truth. Not the lies you hear, not what Satan says about you, not what the world says. The truth is that when you confess Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that the Father raised Him from the dead, you will in fact be saved. You're set free from the penalty and the power of sin and you belong to Me. You're adopted into My family and the Spirit will give you assurance that it's the truth. You can count on it. You already already testified that God keeps His promises. And we have seen and we testify the apostles, the apostle John, the author, and the other apostles, we, we testify that the Father has sent His Son as the world's Savior. What's He saying? He's saying, we saw it. We walked with Jesus. We listened to His teaching. We saw His miracles. John can say, I saw Him crucified, and we know that He was buried. And I looked at the empty tomb, and I saw Him in the upper room. I'm telling you, just as you've been told, He came, He lived, He taught, He was crucified, He was buried, and He rose from the dead. I'm a first-hand testimony, example, or, or witness. Just as we have seen and we're testifying that the Father sent Jesus into the world to become the Savior so that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in Him and He in God. The relationship is established. And we have come to know and to believe. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. You see what, hear what the Apostle John is saying. This is the one who laid on Jesus' shoulder at mealtimes. You remember? The one who, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Intimate friendship with Jesus on a human level. On a spiritual level, he knew Jesus as his Savior, as his King. And he said, I'm telling you, we know what love is. We've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. And what he's saying is that love is Jesus Christ. That's the love of God. That's how you and I know that God loves us. Because what we saw Jesus do, what He came to do, and that He did it. Do you remember the garden? 
You remember Jesus, Lord, if, Father, if there's any other way, you remember? You with me? You awake? And he said, no, there is no other way. This is love. This is God's love. John says, this is how we know that God loves us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God. We're going to, in, in Christ, in God, we're going to look like him. You see it? God is known by love, and if you are a child of God, you're a part of his family, his body, his bride. If you are, you're going to be known by the same thing. Did you see it? God is love, and if you belong to God, you too, me too. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, in this relationship, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. We all just went, woohoo, Jesus is coming back. That's an exciting moment, but remember what that triggers. That triggers a series of events where every living human being stands before their creator, before God, and gives an account for what we did with our life. Ooh. That's, a, that's kind of a mixed emotion moment, right? To stand before God and to have my life laid bare. I... How am I going to survive that? Because I am forgiven. I am set free. I have been washed. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. And when he died on that cross, he died for my sin. He paid for my sin. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. He gives it to me. It's his love. And so I, I look forward to standing before God. Not so that I can brag and somehow impress him with my life, but to thank him. That God so loved the world that He gave His Son Jesus and that Jesus came and Jesus gave His life for me. And He took my place. And He sits at the right hand of the Father as my advocate, as my attorney, saying, Father, this, this knucklehead here, <laughs> he's one of ours. And he's washed clean. I hope you see it. We may have confidence in the day of judgment, for we are as He is in this world. We are in His purposes. We are in His plan. We're in His love. So the conclusion is there's no fear in love. We have nothing to fear in Christ. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you do not face a future punishment. That punishment was laid on Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Isaiah tells us? He took our punishment, didn't he? And I no longer have to fear punishment for what my sins deserve because of his grace and his love for me and anyone who comes to him in faith. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We're still in process. We haven't come to terms with what God's love really is all about. And here's where we're going to focus in 2021. We love because He first loved us. Our theme for 2021, our focus is going to be love first. We're going to love first. We're going to, be become, we're going to ask God to make us people that are known by our love. That we're known specifically that we love first. What does that mean? That means our reactions are based on love. That means our words are based on love. I don't care if it's in person or if it's on a phone in a text message, or if it's on Facebook, that my words are going to come from 
God's love. My reactions, my attitudes, my behavior, my interaction with people I love and my interaction with people that I have a hard time with, who have a hard time with me. Love first. Love first because He first loved us. So here's where we're going to start this year. We're going to start in the book of Jonah. Remember Jonah? How many have read, how many read Jonah in 2020? Okay, about 10, maybe 8, okay. It's higher than I expected. We're going to walk through Jonah over the next four weeks, and this morning we're going to start with chapter 1, and the reason we're starting with him is because Jonah struggled with this very thing. We love first because we love because he first loved us. Now, we, I think we give Jonah kind of a bad rap, and I get it, because he did, he, you know, he, he's kind of like the Peter of the Old Testament, right? I'm God's prophet. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll go wherever you tell me to go, and I'll speak your word. Okay, go to Nineveh, uh, except for Nineveh. And then he, he bolts, and he runs. And we kinda, that's where we kind of start and end. And it doesn't help that the end of the book kind of leaves us hanging as well, doesn't it? Did Jonah come around? Uh, you know, can we go up to, is it, is it going to be proper to go up to Jonah and go, Jonah, can you tell me how chapter five went? You know, because we, we didn't get chapter five. You know, he's probably going to get tired of that, you know, six million people coming up. Jonah, what happened? So I get why we, we kind of give him this bad rap and, and it, maybe we can say it's deserved, but I, I want us to see him not negating that, but I want us to see him from maybe a different perspective than maybe we haven't before. If we, if we go to first, second Kings chapter 14, second Kings chapter 14 in verse 23, we get a little bit of background of who this man is. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. So, Quick history lesson. Remember, the, the people of Israel have been divided, right? They're a divided kingdom after Solomon and his son came to power, and they divided into ten into two. And so we have the southern kingdom, Judah, and we have the northern kingdom, Israel. With me so far? And so they're divided. They have two kings, and we're given that here in, in chapter 14. Who is king of Judah and who is king of, of, uh, of Israel? And the, the king of Israel rules in Samaria. The king of Judah rules in Jerusalem. And we're told that the king did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had come before him, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one, however, that restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebohamath to the Sea of Arabah, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. Now, why is this important? Because we tend to think of Jonah just in the moment of the book of Jonah. And we forget or we don't realize that Jonah is, in fact, one of God's faithful prophets. In fact, we know that Jonah served the northern kingdom, and he served at the same time as Elisha, Amos, and Hosea. Do you recognize those names? And we look at those guys and we're like, whoa, Elisha, Amos, Hosea. These are faithful prophets of God. And they wrote portions, at least a couple of them, portions of our Old Testament. Well, in the midst of that, now I'm not saying they got together for coffee at Starbucks, I can't tell you that, that these four guys sat down, but they ministered in the same era, in the same time. And Second Kings tells us that it wasn't a spiritually good time. Does that matter? It does if you're a prophet, doesn't it? 
Does it matter if it's not a spiritually good time in Northern California in 2021? It does if you're a follower of Jesus, right? Isn't that going to affect us, have an impact on our living out our faith and being known by love and being a voice of hope? Are you with me? It is, right? It has the, the climate, the day in which we are called to serve is impact, it has an impact on our relationship with God. And if we're honest, it's a challenge to our daily obedience to Him. Isn't it? Come on, don't leave me up here all by myself. It's easier to serve God when everybody's on board with God. And it's more challenging to serve God when it seems like the majority are going a different direction. Second Kings tells us that in Jonah's day, Spiritually, the people of God were going in a different direction. But Jonah was God's man. God had depended on him. He had used him. He had sent him to this king. He had given direction on what God was doing. The borders were going to be restored. God had spoken through Jonah. We don't know how many times. We just know that he was one of God's go-to servants, messengers. And so in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, we read this phrase, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. This phrase appears almost a hundred times, around a hundred times in the Old Testament. And it shows up in, in all kinds of, of other books that we recognize and go, ooh, those are good books. Joel, Micah, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And we look at those, those men, those prophets, and say, wow, they had tough ministries and God spoke to them and they were faithful to God. Well, at the beginning of Jonah, this is Jonah's situation. It wasn't a surprise to Jonah. This wasn't the first time it had happened. He recognized this moment when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And Jonah, the son of Amittai, and God says, go. So far, so good. Right? You with me? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, everybody. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I want you to remember that I'm going to be with you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Did I say that? I did. Okay. I thought I forgot it. And remember, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. See, Matthew 28, when Jesus told his disciples, now go. That's not, that's not a new, a, a new tech, uh, you know, tactic. That's not a new, you know, New thought to God. I know what I'll do. I'll have people go tell others about me. That's not new to God. That's always been God's heart. And he tells Jonah, I want you to go. I want you to go and, and tell somebody about me. Okay, that's fine. God, I'm ready. I can pack. I got my suitcase ready to go. Where do you want me to go? I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh, the Assyrians, and I want you to preach against it. I want you to proclaim my message of repentance and forgiveness because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, what does Jonah do in this moment? He what? He runs, doesn't he? Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that part of the world. And after paying the fare, he went on board. He sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, we could spend the rest of our time on that phrase, couldn't we? That's just an interesting phrase. Can you run from God? Oh, come on. You can try. You can try. But can you flee from his presence? Can you get away from him? You want to play hide and seek with God? You're going to lose every time, right? One, three, two, already you're not here, I come. Oh, there you are. It's a short game. 
with God. But Jonah convinces himself, this is what's interesting to me, is he convinces himself that this is going to be successful. Now, where God tells him to go from his hometown is about 500 miles to the east. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh. It's about 500 miles to the east. Jonah goes west to the coast, uh, Joppa today, outside of Tel Aviv, and there's a, there's a port there, and he gets on a ship to go to what we know today as Spain, about as far west as you can go in that day, because what's past Spain to, to Jonah? The, yeah, the Atlantic Ocean, right, with no wind in sight. It's just funny to me that he says, you know what, I'm going to go as far the opposite direction as I possibly can, and somehow... I'm going to get away from God. We laugh at it. We make fun of it. We realize that it's not possible. But can I suggest to us that we do a version of the same thing? We do. In fact, let me, let me do this this morning in the time that I have left. We're going, to, we're going to walk through the rest of chapter 1. But what I want to do is I want to, I want to present some questions. Can we do that? Can you, if you're taking notes mentally, if you're writing them down, or maybe you're just going to, if you're at home watching, just write some of these down. I want to urge us to consider these questions this morning as we begin our study from the book of Jonah. The first one is this, am I good with how God sees me and how he wants me to see others? Am I good? Am I okay with how God sees me and how I see others? Here's the reality. Jonah is God's messenger. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. So what am I to God? How does God see me based on Acts 1, 8? You will be my, I'm a witness. He, he tells us in, in the Gospels that I am salt and I am light. That's how he sees me. Matthew chapter 28, I want you to go. Well, Jesus, where do you want me to go? As you're going, as you're living your life, I want you to make disciples of everyone, of all nations. How does God see me? Does He not see me as His messenger? Is it not that my life exists, I have breath, I'm here this morning and I live in California because God sees me as His messenger? What He has given me, what He has revealed to me, how He has transformed my life, He sees me now as obligated to tell others. Are we on the same page? Am I good with that? Because sometimes I live my life like that's not even in my thinking. Right? And then things happen in our world, happen in our lives, and boy, we get caught up in legitimate things. That and Time goes by and, and I've forgotten. Or, in Jonah's case, I'm just not good with that, Jesus. I mean, I'm good with going to these people over here, and I'm good, and I've been your messenger, I've been your prophet, and when you've given me direction for the king or for your people and how you're going to, then I'm all on board. But when you come to me and say, I'm your messenger to go to the Assyrians, to Nineveh, I know what these people are like. Nahum tells us what these people are like. We're not going to read it this morning, but you can go to the book of Nahum, and Nahum says, this is a bloody city. This is a violent city. He says, literally, the, bile, the, the bodies are piled up in this city. This is a wicked city. They're violent. They don't care about anybody but themselves. And they're going to be used by God to judge the people of Israel. Jonah says, I'm not, I'm not good with this. 
I mean, I get that I'm your prophet, and when you thus saith the Lord, or the word of the Lord comes to me, and you want me to go and tell somebody I'm on board, but not this time. So I ask myself, am I good with how God sees me as His messenger? And am I good with how I see others, how He wants me to see others? Because if I'm honest, I can lay down my head at the end of the day, and I can lay there, and I can do a check off my list and say, who do I love? Who do I not love? Who am I frustrated with? Who do I want God just to rock their world so they come to the truth? Truth defined as agreeing with me. You with me? Am I good with how God sees me? Here's where I've come to what I've come to believe, and it's nothing new, and I think many of us are already there. But the reality is this as I look at 2021, my life is not my own. As much as I want it to be, as much as I make plans like it is, my life is not my own. That's not that's how God sees it. That I'm his messenger. Am I good with that? Am I good with how God sees me and how I see others? Am I good with what God is doing? Oh, am I good with what God is not doing? No? Am I all by myself in that? God, why aren't, when, when will you? Am I good with what God is doing or not doing? Am I good with who he shows love and grace to? The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, Go. The heart of the Lord is revealed when he says, go and preach. Because he sees Jonah as his messenger. And I think it's accurate to conclude from what we've already read, and it's just going to be fleshed out in the book, is that God loves Nineveh. Can you believe that? Can you believe that God loves San Francisco? Now, hold, hold, I know, yeah, that's, that's the Christian response, and I'm not judging you, that you're not sincere. But then we read something about what the leadership of that city does or how they, how they live or some of their practices or whatever, and we look at that and we judge that and we say, and, it, and it, I'm not saying it's wrong to judge sin, but we judge it and then we come wrongfully to the conclusion that God doesn't love that city or He doesn't love people that are living certain ways, Right? That's what we do, and we do it from a distance, and then it somehow comes close and impacts our own lives, and then we really have a hard time loving you fill in the blank. God sees Jonah as a messenger, and God loves Nineveh. Am I good with how God sees me? Am I good with how he wants me to see people? And I, I encourage you to take that question and be honest take some self-reflection alone with our own thoughts saying okay how do I see people how do I see those in my life how do I see those that are making decisions that are negatively impacting me from a distance or up close and am I really good with being God's messenger to those people and am I good seeing them the way God wants me to see them because the reality is God sees Jonah as his messenger and God loves Nineveh. Look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. I'm not giving away the end of the story. You've read it, and many of you read it this year. Jonah admits why he ran. This is why I was so quick to run to Tarshish. I knew that you're gracious. I knew that you're compassionate. I know that you're slow to anger. And I know that you're abounding in love. What's he saying? 
as soon as I heard the word Nineveh come out of your mouth, God, I knew what you're about and you wanted me to go love those people, to go warn them, to go tell them that the direction they're going is going to bring destruction and that they need to repent. And I knew that if I did that and re- told them the message of your grace, your abounding love, you're going to forgive them. Ugh. You see it? He's speaking for us. You relent from sending calamity. I'm not good with being your messenger in this moment, and I'm not good with how you want me to see those people. So I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to run from God. I'm going to go as far west as I possibly can. And he does, doesn't he? Verse 4. He gets on that boat, and verse 4 tells us that the Lord sent a great wind. The Lord sent a great wind. Does God move and work through creation? He does. We, we say yes if we believe that He is the Creator. We, we saw it in the, in the Gospel of Luke this last year, didn't we? He would, he would calm the winds. He would make the, the storm come. He would calm the storm. He would give life to the dead. Are you with me? It just, it, it's so easy, right? It's just a matter of fact. God sends the wind. God says, hey, blow. And the wind comes. And all channel 3 and 10 and 13 and 40 and 31 went, well, we thought, you know, change, change the app. You know, it, I don't know if you watched the app this week, but in the middle of the week, it was, what, 60% rain, I think, today, and then it went to 40, and then it went to, right? Ah, we got to change the app again because something happened. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose. The wind causes the waves and causes the storm to impact the ship that's traveling on the Mediterranean ocean. It threatened to break up the ship, to destroy the ship, and the, the sailors are afraid, and they're crying out to their God. They're not believers in Jehovah or Yahweh. They decide to throw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship, get it up higher, not so low in the water. Jonah had gone down below deck where he lay down, and he was sleeping. The captain comes to him and says, hey, how can you sleep? Look around you. Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we won't die. Then the sailors said to each other, hey, let's do this. Let's, let's cast lots. Let's take these that look like dice and let's throw them. In. And this is something that was common to that day, right? We've seen it before in God's word. Let's cast lots and find out who's responsible for the storm. And they cast the lot and the lot falls to Jonah. And so they ask him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? They're saying, who are you? Who exactly are you? What did you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? Now, I can't prove it, but I think these questions are coming from different guys. I don't think it's one guy rattling these off. I think they're all going, who in the world are you? What did you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? And they're bombarding him with these questions, and he says, I'm a Hebrew. Don't miss this. He tells the truth. You with me? We, we, I just think we forget that Jonah knows God intimately. He has served God. He's been faithful to serve God in the past. And he says, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Jew. And I worship the Lord. He's the God of heaven. He made the sea and the land. Last thing they wanted to hear. He's the God of the ocean. This terrified them. And so they asked again, what did you do? What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them. And the sea continued to get rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, please, what should we do? What should we do to you to make the sea calm down 
for us. What does your God want us to do? And he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Now this is probably the, the, the through the ages, sailors, this is like the worst thing that you ask a sailor to do. I mean, a, a good sailor, not pirates. I know we've all watched Pirates of the Caribbean, so we argh, have a different view. But sailors, you come to the rescue of people in the ocean, right? You depend on others to do it for you, right? Those in the Navy or serve, you, you depend on each other. There's a, a, maybe it's written. I'm going to say it's an unwritten rule. You always look out for each other out in the middle of this ocean. And when he says, sailors, I want you to throw me into, it goes against everything that they believe, everything that they practice. I know if you throw me in, the sea will become calm, and I know it's my fault that this storm has come upon you. Do you hear Jonah? Do you hear him? We're going to see his prayer next week, and we're really going to see his heart. But God's already working in him, isn't he? Guys, it's my fault. I thought I could run from God, and I'm telling you, he's, he's my God. I'm a Hebrew. I'm one, of his, I'm one of his prophets. And he made the sea. And this is happening because of me, and I know that if you throw me in, It'll fix the problem. The men did not want to do that. Their response was to row back to land, but it failed. They couldn't. The sea got worse. They cried out to Lord, to the Lord, to Jonah's God, O oh Lord, please do not let us die. Don't judge us for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for the killing of an innocent man, for you, O oh Lord, have done as you've pleased. See what's happened? Jonah's running from God. I, I just, if it wasn't so dramatic, I think it might be a little funny. But he's running from God, and in doing so, he's actually going, and God is using him to proclaim who he is to other people. Do you see the, do you see the impact on the sailors? They're praying. They're praying to this God that they, they maybe didn't know about or have never prayed to before and say, please, we know this man is innocent. We know what we're about to do is wrong, but you're in control. According to what your prophet has testified, you're in control. You are doing what you want. And they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And in this moment, the men greatly feared the Lord. See, God continues to work, even in our fleeing. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. They worshipped God. And they made vows to Him. Here's the second question that, that came to my mind in studying this. Am I ready to put the needs of others before my own? As I look at 2021 and we, we continue this journey that we're on and the time and the day and the climate in which God has called His, His family to be His family, to be known by love, am I ready to express that love the way that Jesus has expressed that love? Am I willing to sacrifice my own needs? So we look at chapter 2, what we know is chapter 2 where Jonah really comes around. I suggest to you that he's already coming around. He's already recognizing who God is and the can I say stupidity? Stupid? How stupid is that? Okay, online, sorry. The stupidity of his actions. He gets what's happening. And he says, what you need to do, because I am, I am wrong. I'm running for God and I need to stop running from God. So just throw me in the ocean and God will take care of you. Because what's happening is because of my sin. My failure to obey God. In fact, my disobedience to God. Does Jonah know there's going to be a whale to swallow him? Come on, you with me? Does Jonah know what's going to happen next? He does not. He said, well, he could just read the book, right? And then he would know. No, okay. Just seeing if you're paying attention. 
He doesn't know what's going to happen, but he's convinced that this is what God wants and God's going to take care of these sailors if he stops running. Am I ready to put the needs of others before my own? Am I ready to live out my true identity in the middle of a storm, in the middle of this mess that they're in, and they're afraid they're going to die, and they come to Jonah, I am so encouraged by Jonah in what he does. He says, I'm a Hebrew. And Almighty God, the creator of the ocean and land, is my God. And this is happening because I'm disobeying Him. Do you see? He lives out, he comes back to his identity. He comes back to the reality of how God sees him and how God wants him to see other people. And now he's, he's tasked with answering this question. Am I willing to do whatever it's going to take now to stop running for God and to make sure these people aren't paying for my sin? And I think the only option, because we can't even get back to land. That would have been an option, right? Just row back to, to the port and drop me off. No, they can't. They tried. Well, then what needs to happen is you need to throw me in. But you'll die. That's what it takes. That's what's going to calm God and it's going to protect you because He's my God and I'm His and I'm running from Him. I've been in disobedience and it's time for me to stop running. We can run, we can resist, but what we cannot do is remove ourselves from the reach of God's grace. And I say that because this is God's grace in Jonah's life. Would you agree? Because we know what's going to happen. To the human eyes, to the sailors, this is the end for Jonah. Boom, whoa, the water got calm. But in God's eyes, this is just the beginning for Jonah. Yes? You can't outrun the reach of God's grace. We can try to run. We can resist. We can say, I'm not okay with how you see me. I don't want to be your messenger in this moment. And I don't want to see people the way that you do. But now he realizes, I'm willing to put my life on the line for these sailors and I will give testimony as to who God is and who I am to him. I don't know what he's going to do, but you need to throw me into the ocean. Verse 17. The chapter ends with this verse. Our chapter in our English Bible ends with this verse. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. I love this word provided, depending on what your translation says. Some say other words. It literally just means to tell. It means to tell. I have a, I have a German shepherd that I've had for about four years. We've, had, we try, we've tried to train Etta to obey. And so... If you come to my house and you knock on the door, she will, she's a big baby, so come to my house, don't be afraid, but she will bark in a way that you think you're about ready to die, because she just, she's ready to, she doesn't know who you are, she just, somebody rang the bell, and so she's going to, and I tell her, we made a bed under the stairs with a door, a light and a nice soft little cushion, and I say, Etta, go to your bed, Etta, go to your bed, Etta, go to your bed, go to your bed, go to your bed, and I'm sure the people at the door are going, what is going on? I'm telling my dog that I am the master of... And you heard the results. God tells a fish to do something, and it does it. That's the intent of this word. He provided a fish. He assigned a fish. He prepared a fish. He told a fish, a great fish, to swallow Jonah. And he did. It did. 
And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Here's the last question that I'll pose to us this morning. Am I ready to submit my life to the one who is seeking to save the lost? And I say it that way because that's how Jesus said it, right? I've come to seek and to save the lost. Did the disciples ever have problems with who Jesus ministered to? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Does Jonah have a problem with who Jesus or who God is seeking to show grace to? Yes, he does. Do I? Do we have a problem with who God wants to show grace and love to so that they can be rescued? They can be saved from being lost. Am I ready to submit my life to the one who is seeking to save the lost? Jonah allowed them. As far as we can tell, he didn't put up any resistance. They picked him up and they threw him in the water. And he was ready to face his consequence to his decision. But God had other plans, didn't he? Than what Jonah imagined. I found myself asking this week, am I ready to submit my life to the one who is seeking to save the lost in Northern California in 2021? Am I ready to let go of my own plans and my own biases, my own fill-in-the-blank? And put my life in the care of the one who wants to seek and to save the lost. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. Are we together? The Father gave His Son. Does that tell us anything about the heart of God? God so loved the world. Go and make disciples of all nations. Let me ask you these, add a couple of questions to that. Am I ready to acknowledge my sin and repent? If we're going to answer that third question, am I, am I willing to put my life into the hands of the one who is here to, to, to rescue the lost? If I'm going to submit my, my life to him, I have to be willing to acknowledge my sin and repent. Are you, you with me? I have to acknowledge that maybe I haven't answered these other questions like I should. And God has placed people in my life and within my circles that he's calling me to love. God will never be hindered, distracted, discouraged, or deterred from His plan to call sinners to repentance. I'm going to say that again. I believe this to be true, that Scripture builds a strong foundation for this statement. God will never be hindered, distracted, discouraged, or deterred, put off from His plan to call sinners to repentance. 2020 was not God-killing time. You with me? It was not God taking a vacation. And 2021 is not going to be God going, I don't know what to do. I really thought the vaccine would be the fix, but I don't know now. Are we together? Then our lives need to reflect that. Amen? Our lives need to reflect how we answer these questions. God is never going to be hindered. He'll never be distracted. He'll never be discouraged. He'll never be deterred from fulfilling His plan to call sinners to repentance because God so loved this world that He gave His Son. So as I finish this morning, I ask you, I ask me, am I on board? Get the joke? Okay, thank you. Am I on board with what God is doing? Are you talking about COVID? You talking about the economy? You you talking about the, the, the people that have died from, from this and from other things? You talking about the chaos? Am I on board with what God's doing? Yes, that's my question. I'm not saying I like it. 
I'm not saying Jonah liked being thrown into the ocean. But am I on board? Am I on the same page with what God is doing? How He is doing it? When He is doing it? Am I ready to love first? Am I ready to put down everything else that comes to mind? All of my other responses and reactions. And am I willing to say, you know what? In 2021, I'm going to be known my love. My words, my actions, my attitudes. When you look closely at my relationships, when you talk to my family, to my friends, to my neighbors, to my coworkers, they're going to all say the same thing. This is what my prayer is, that Kurt is all about love. He's got opinions. He's opinionated. He's got flaws. He's got sharp edges. But boy, every time I interact with him, I just feel like he's known by love more than anything else. Are we ready to be known by love? Are we ready to love first? I believe that love is the why for everything. You want to come up, Nate, Stacy, and Josh? Love is the why for everything. How many found yourselves asking why a whole lot more in 2020? I'm at the top of the list. Thank you, Kelly. Why? 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 Love is the answer. See, really, all that's happened is about love. If we believe that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that we might be rescued from sin, then we have to answer that question, yes. Everything that God allows, everything that we face, everything that's going on is about God's love for the lost. And I have to decide if I'm on board with that. If I'm on board with what God is doing, and I'm going to submit my life to the one that came to seek and to save the lost. Because love is the why for everything. Amen? Let's worship. Let's respond.